0: What do you value most in life? What is your greatest treasure? For some of you, it may be the fact that you are now in a season of dating, or in a season of being engaged, or in a season of being newly married. And this is valuable to you because you've waited so long for that special someone to show up in your life, and now he or she is here. For others, it may be something you own or something that you would like to own, like a house or a car. And so you give yourself to saving so that you can purchase it, so that once you do, your dream will become complete. And so maybe you give yourself to watching House Hunters and browsing Zillow, um, or you're on Craigslist. Uh, or car gurus and looking at the different kinds of cars and options that there are, the different additions that you can add to your car, and the amount of money that it'll take to save up to a, to purchase these things. Everyone has something that he values most in life. This may be obvious, but did you know that what you value or what you treasure most is linked to your joy? It would be a shame for you to find out that what you value has no value at all. Because if that were to happen, your joy would go right out of the window and you'd be filled with grief or sorrow almost immediately. And this is why it's important for you to know and for you to make sure that what you value most in this life is actually worth something. And in our passage this morning, Paul shows us what's of most value in this life. What is true gain? And that is knowing Jesus. So if you're taking notes this morning, our main idea is this. True gain is found in knowing Jesus. True gain is found in knowing Jesus. And if you're taking notes this morning, our outline has three points. The joy of knowing Jesus, or I'm sorry, the joy of knowing Christ The threat to knowing Christ and the reward of knowing Christ. So, with that, let's turn to our passage for this morning found in Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, And if you're joining us for the first time this morning or have missed some of the previous sermons in this series, we've seen that this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And this letter was written to express Paul's gratitude for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel as they partnered with him financially and by sending one of their own to help him during his imprisonment while he was in Rome. And in the letter, he um, addresses some of his personal circumstances where he was imprisoned and suffering for the cause of Christ but he writes to inform them or to give them an update telling them not to worry about him because his suffering was actually serving as a reason or as a way to advance the gospel and he was joyful because of this then he turns his attention to their circumstances in Philippi as they themselves were experiencing some kind of suffering and he encourages them to rejoice And so chapter 2 could be summarized as Christ died serving you, therefore you die in service to him. And he gives us two examples of men who do this, um, namely Timothy and Epaphroditus. And today we uh, turn to Paul in chapter 3, and he gives us attention to another important matter that needs to be addressed. And this brings us to our passage and our first point this morning, which is the joy of knowing Christ. The joy of knowing Christ. And we see that in verse 1. If you read uh, that with me once again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Once again, Paul turns his attention to another important matter that needs attention. And like a loving parent who reminds and warns his children of important things for their good. Paul reminds and warns the Philippians for their good. He says, rejoice in the Lord to write these same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. His call to rejoice is an important theme in this letter. And we've seen this so far uh, in, in the previous sermons. For example, in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul prays for the Philippians' joy because of their partnership in the gospel. In 118, Paul rejoices because Christ and his gospel are proclaimed, even though some were proclaiming Christ with false motives. In verse 25, Paul's desire, uh, what we see is that the Philippians would continue to grow and rejoice in the gospel. And in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul calls the Philippians to complete his joy by obeying his instructions to strive for unity for the advancement of the gospel in Philippi. Then in verse 17, Paul rejoices at the fact that even if he is to die, he will do so along with the Philippians uh, and their sacrificial giving to advance the gospel. So in case you hadn't noticed, it's... Something that's important to Paul. And in this passage, he calls the Philippians once again to rejoice. And this time it's rejoice in the Lord. This reminder is good and safe for them. Christ is the one they can rejoice in because He is the gospel. He is the good news. And we too can rejoice in Him. If you're visiting us this morning and you know yourself not to be a Christian you may be wondering, what is this gospel of joy that was just talked about? Well, the gospel literally means good news, and it's the good news of salvation for all who believe. Believe specifically that God is the creator of all things and that we are his creation and that we have rebelled against God and thus have earned God's righteous judgment and we have been separated from God because of our sin. And we deserve to be separated from him for eternity in a real place called hell. Man is unable to make things right with God. Man is unable to repair this relationship with God. And so God took it upon himself to make things right with man by giving his son, by sending his son Jesus Christ into this world to give his life as a ransom for all who would repent and believe in him. And then three days later, God resurrected him. God the Father resurrected him from the dead, and he sits at the right hand of God right now. And so do you see how this is good news? This is good news because the bad news is, first, that you are in need of being made right with God, and you have no way to fix this problem. The good news is that, God has done something to fix the problem and he has done it in his son, Jesus Christ. God has made a way for you to be forgiven, but not just to, to be forgiven, also to be reconciled to this good and loving God, this good and loving creator who created you for himself, who created you to rejoice in him. This that was once lost because of your sin can now be restored if you repent and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you have any questions about this, feel free to ask myself, one of our pastors, or whoever you came with, and we'd be happy to continue talking to you about this. So the fact that Paul continues to tell the Philippians about the gospel shows us how important it is in the lives of all Christians because of things that threaten our joy in the gospel or threaten our joy in Christ. So we see that real joy is found in Christ, in knowing Christ. But before we get to that, we find something else here in this passage. And this brings us to our second point, the threat to knowing Christ. And we find this in verses 2 through 6. The next thing Paul does in this section is that he warns the Philippians about a potential danger that he knew existed. Now, this wasn't taking place at Philippi at this time, but it is something that uh, that had been following Paul around wherever he went, and he wanted to make sure that the Philippians were aware of this and that they would be ready if these folks were to show up. It was a potential danger that appeared to be profitable, but in reality would end up as loss. So he writes there in verse 2, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. My wife Erica and I, um, we recently adopted a dog a little over a month ago. And it's been great. His name is Benji, and he's awesome. And I find myself being very affectionate towards this dog. I take him on walks twice a day. Uh, I'll take turns with Erica to feed him. I, uh, since I can't smother, well, I can, but Erica doesn't like for me to smother her. I smother him. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I love this dog. Right? Well, this is the way that many folks see dogs today as almost like family members. right? But this is not the way that dogs were seen in Paul's day. Uh, Dogs were actually seen as dirty scavengers that were detested by society and considered to be unclean by the Jews, so much so that the term dog was used to refer to Gentiles. So we find Paul describing the specific group of folks as dogs. Then he says that they are also evildoers, referring to those who do evil and don't do good, and those who mutilate the flesh. What's up with that? If you read this, you might be thinking, who is he referring to? Is he talking about those folks that pierced their bodies all over? You know, are these the folks that are mutilating the flesh? But Paul is not referring to these folks. Paul is referring to a group, a group, a religious group known as Judaizers. And these were folks who taught that God's offer of salvation was attained by a combination of God's grace and human effort. And the word Judaizer means to live according to Jewish customs. So in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with His uh, people Israel, where all males were to be circumcised. This is what He refers to uh, um, by mutilation of the flesh. And these Judaizers taught that in order to be part of God's chosen people, one needed to be circumcised. To them... This was the one act that was held as the supreme evidence of obedience and the reason for confidence before God. Well, Paul tells the Philippians to look out for these people. He tells them to look out for them three times. And in the Bible, whenever you find repetition, it's made to to show emphasis in something. And so we find that this is very important, this warning and this is important because the Judaizers were a threat to the joy that the Philippians were already experiencing in Christ. I remember when I was about 17 years old and I was out on the street, forget what I was doing. And one day uh, a man approached me and he said, hey, bro, um, you're not going to believe it, but I just got robbed um, they took everything. They took my car. They took my wallet. The only thing that I have left is is this watch. It's a Rolex. And I want to get home. And I need money to get back home and I live in a different state. I'll, I'll sell it to you. Give me 50 bucks. And I heard Rolex? 50 bucks? Oh, man. And in that time, I was already struggling with finding my identity in material possessions. So, so to hear Rolex, and then at a cheap price, I'm like, yeah, I need that Rolex. And I said, oh, I only have 20 bucks, man. He's like, I'll take it. Here you go. So you can imagine the joy that I felt in that moment. Like I got a Rolex for 50 bucks. And later on that week, I took it to one of my friends whose dad is really knowledgeable with watches and found out that the watch was fake. Now, can you imagine how my joy quickly turned into sorrow? Because not only did I now own a fake Rolex, but I also was out 20 bucks. So, this is what the Judaizers were trying to do. They were offering something fake, an imitation of the real thing. Now, if these... Judaizers are wrong about where to place one's confidence in being right with God, then where do we turn to, or how do we know what's the real thing? Well, look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision, says Paul. In contrast to what the Judaizers taught, the Philippians did not need it because they already had the real thing. And Paul reminds them of three things in their lives that proved this, that gave them assurance that they already had the real thing. And the first thing that he points to is that we are those who worship by the Spirit of God. The word worship, here is not referring to what we do here on Sunday morning as we gather together to sing songs and to, you know, uh, encourage and fellowship with one another. It carries the meaning more of service, as in one's devotion to God as a lifestyle. Because according to Paul, this is the true worship of God, and we find that also in Romans 12. Now, the Judaizers taught that The worship of God was evidenced by circumcision. But Paul tells them that true service to God is tied to one's lifestyle. As one who walks in the spirit. As one who puts his own interests down and looks to the interests of others. As one who strives to walk in unity. You know, the things that Paul has already been talking about in this letter. So, Paul tells them that true service to God is tied to one's lifestyle, tied to walking in the Spirit. It's evidence in this transformed lifestyle and not in our acts of worship, as the Judaizers were proclaiming. The second thing that we find that Paul points them to to assure them they already had the real thing is he says. We are the ones who not only worship by the Spirit of God, but also glory in Christ Jesus. and what Paul is getting at here is that it's if one obedi- if one's obedience to the law is what makes one good with God, then who gets the glory? Well, you do, right? But you see. Just like that fake Rolex that offers fake joy, this too will offer a joy that's an imitation because it comes from a false gospel that in reality is no gospel at all. Because as Jeremy has been showing us in the previous uh, weeks from Romans, that none of us is righteous and none of us can save ourselves. The gospel is the good news that salvation doesn't come from us. It comes from outside of us. And it comes by the life of Jesus Christ. And so he gets the glory. This is what God's people do. God's people boast in Jesus Christ and rejoice in what he has done. And the third thing that Paul does to assure them that they already had this real joy Real acceptance from God is we are the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And third, we put no confidence in the flesh. And it's similar and it all ties in together. If you're responsible for making yourself right with God, then naturally your confidence will be placed in what you do or in yourself. And in the Judaizers case, it was placed in their circumcision. We, on the other hand, says Paul, we are those who do not put confidence in what we do. We put our confidence in Christ and in Christ alone. So Paul then says, I used to be the worst of the worst from this group. If the Judaizers were dogs, they'd be like chihuahuas and Paul would be like a, like a pit bull. Right? If they were all together roaming, roaming around in a pack, Paul would be the alpha dog. I've been learning a lot about this. I've been watching uh, Caesar Milan, about you know the dog and all. That's pretty cool. And so this is what's going on here. Paul says, I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. And this is who I am. In verse 4 and 5, he says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, if you have searched for a job, you're probably familiar with the importance of having a resume. And you know how important it is in this culture to have a nice, polished resume because finding a job a lot of times will depend on how good your resume is. And many people give themselves, they give their lives to building up this nice resume. Many folks give themselves to being careful about their education, what school they go to, what degrees they get, how many degrees they get, what experience they have. And so confidence, their confidence is placed here. But now we come to Paul's resume that shows us his credentials, where he shows that he is superior to those who would try to lure the Philippians away by trusting in themselves or in their obedience. So Paul, in other words, is saying, if you want to play that game, sure, let's play. I'm going to win. I'm going to come out on top. Let's look at my stats. And so he starts off by pointing them to his birth and how he excelled. The way that he describes in Galatians, for example, how he was excelling far beyond what these folks were doing. So according to the law, he says, uh, males were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Check. When it comes to being a member of God's people, check. He has that. When it comes to being of the tribe that was favored and blessed by Moses, as we see in Deuteronomy, check. He was part of that, the tribe of Benjamin. And as to being a Pharisee, he was the man. He was one that was zealous about obeying God and keeping everything pure, so much so that he was also a persecutor of the church, as we read in Acts. So we find a picture of a man who is in the top ranks. Here we have Paul, a man who did everything right. He have We have a man who never missed a Sunday uh, service. He never missed equip class. He did the read the Bible in a year, not just once. He did it like five times. And he didn't miss out on evening service either. He also made sure to give from his paychecks. So he had a perfect resume. But he says, if this is what made him acceptable to God, then he was safe right so now i want to ask you what about you how's your resume if you're a christian are you good at doing these things too do you pride yourself in your bible reading In your prayer life, in meeting up with others, in serving in the church, in evangelism, do you put your trust in these good things? Or maybe you're not a Christian and you're visiting us. So these things don't apply to you, right? But I'm sure you have a resume too. Do you pride yourself in being a good person? Employee, maybe you pride yourself in giving back to the community, donating your time to community service. Maybe you're a good citizen who pays all of your taxes and maybe you don't ever get any tickets. What do you treasure in life? What is it that you find your purpose in? Maybe you don't think that you're a bad person. And maybe you believe that, yeah, sure, there is a God. And yeah, sure, there is a heaven. And yeah, of course, God likes you, right? Because you're not so bad. But the problem with this is that you're looking to your own works, to the things that you do to make yourself right with God. And what Paul is saying here is that he used to do this too. He used to think that the things that he did was true gain. But if this isn't true gain, then what is? Because Paul says that this is not true gain. And this brings us to our third point. The reward of knowing Christ. And we find that in verses 7 through 11. Paul says that true gain for the Christian is to know Jesus. So having believed the gospel, the greatest treasure and reward that any person gets is not avoiding hell. It is not the forgiveness of your sins, though those things are good. The greatest treasure that anyone gets who believes in the gospel is the reward of Jesus himself. In this part of the letter, Paul begins to give examples of losses and gains. And so having given his resume, he says that all of these former gains were no gains at all. They were now loss. And the reason for this is because compared to Jesus, all of those other things were meaningless. Those things could not get him the greatest reward, which is Jesus himself. And we see that in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul continues explaining that it's not only what he counted as gains that are loss. He considers everything he has as loss. If you were to create a document with two columns and broke them up into gains and losses, and you fill them in with everything you value in this world, if you're a Christian and you know Christ, everything, everything on that list would begin to follow under the loss category compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And the more that you begin to know Christ, the more that the things that you had in the gain column begin to start going over to the loss column. As you grow in your understanding of not only that Christ came and died for you so that you would be forgiven and reconciled to him, but as you also learn more deeper things in the word of God, not deeper, but more um, um, things that aren't easily um, easily understandable when you first became a Christian. The things that you learn as you walk with God and know Him more. So when, compared, when you compare all of these things to Christ, they become worthless. It would be like wanting to go to your, the most expensive restaurant to eat your favorite meal and wanting to pay with Monopoly money. It all of a sudden becomes worthless. And notice in verse 8 that knowing Christ is not just about knowing about him. It's more than just that. It's personal knowledge. Because Paul there says, Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This personal knowledge comes from faith in Christ. It is not inherited from one's parents it is not earned it is received as a gift by faith in Christ this is the way of owning him as one's Lord knowing him not only as Savior but as Lord and as you grow in your understanding of the word you begin to know what he has done for you more and more because he begins to speak to you through his word the Bible He is at work in you, conforming you into His likeness by the Spirit, through His Word. And then in verse 8, we continue reading, For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So for Christ's sake, Paul was now imprisoned in Rome. He went from being one of the most respected men to one of the most rejected. But for Paul, that was okay. Because what he once counted as gain was now loss. And more than that, Paul counted all of those things that he once loved and put his confidence in as rubbish. And rubbish here has the idea of something that is undesirable. It's not just trash. It's It carries the idea of human excrement. And what Paul says is that all of these things that he considered gain, compared to knowing and being united to Christ, was now rubbish or poop. And the idea that we find here is also what Jesus talks about as recorded in Mark 8.36, where Jesus says, What does a profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? To give yourself to value anything other than Christ is insane. It is worthless. Because you can give your entire life to trusting in these earthly treasures or possessions that are good, but treasuring these things more than Christ himself But the problem with that is that all of us have an appointment with our maker. And we will all be there. No no one will miss this appointment. We will all have to give an account. And how will we respond when we are before him? Will, Will we present the things that we counted as gain in this world? And say, here are all of my degrees. Here's all of my money. Here's all of my sneakers. Here's all of my... Good deeds, I'm home. Let me in. Here you go. Keep the change. Or will you say, I have nothing to offer but Christ because He is the one that died for me. I counted it all as loss for the cause of gaining Christ. You might find this crazy, but you won't understand this unless you have first experienced the joy that is offered in the gospel. The forgiveness of your sin and understanding how life was designed to be from the very beginning. A life in submission under God. And it is only then that you begin to see everything else as rubbish because of what's most valuable to you, which is Jesus Christ. So think of Paul. He knew Jesus personally, but he wasn't satisfied He wanted to continue growing in his intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. So to know Jesus then means to receive the reward which is Christ himself. And how is this reward received? How is one to be found in Jesus? Well the answer to that question is you need to be righteous. Which is what the Judaizers were offering by pointing people to circumcision. You want to be righteous? You want to be accepted by God? You want to be right with God? Turn to circumcision. The answer to this question, though, is it's not just any kind of righteousness because if that's the righteousness that gets you right with God, then Paul says, I'm at the top of the list. I'm good. But the righteousness... That we need is a different righteousness. And so if you look there at verse 9. Paul continues saying. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here we find two kinds of righteousness. Two ways of finding or being right with God. The first one is we find one's own righteousness or your own righteousness. This is the kind that depends on you, your efforts, what you do, your resume, your stats. It depends on obedience and law keeping. This is the kind that Paul was good at and that some of us can be good at too. But this is not what Um, Makes us right with God This is where we shouldn't put our confidence in And then there's another kind of righteousness And it's a kind that's given to you This is the righteousness that comes from God It's being right with him based on what he says Not based on what you say This righteousness is received as a gift by faith in Jesus so what happens when you know Jesus through faith? Well, let's look at verse 10, verses 10 and 11. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You begin to know Jesus in that your life begins to be conformed to His own life. You begin to know the power of His resurrection. This is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. It is the power that grants a person who repents and believes in Him new life in Him. It is the power that frees you from the bondage to sin. This is the power that enables you to walk in holiness and look more and more like Jesus, a process that continues throughout your life. And not only do you become sanctified by His power, you also begin to walk in His footsteps, which includes suffering. Not because suffering is good, but because you are in this fallen world that rejects Him. And as Jesus said, if this world hates you, Remember, or know this, it hated me first. In other words, his suffering becomes your suffering. And this is why Jesus also said, Blessed are you when others persecute you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. You begin to know Him more and more. You begin to know how you are in Him as you walk in His footsteps and you are blessed when this happens. You can rejoice and be glad because your reward is that you get to know Jesus more and more, not only in this world, but you will get to know Him. We will get to know Him more and more in the world to come without sin hindering us, without sin pulling us away from Him. To know Jesus then is to share in his suffering. Paul shared shared in this as he advanced Christ and his gospel through his own suffering. The Philippians shared in this suffering too for the sake of Christ and his gospel. So you too will grow in knowing Jesus as you suffer for his sake and his gospel. So as we endure suffering... You can rejoice knowing that Jesus has promised to resurrect you and to take you to be with Him forever, where you and I will continue knowing Him more and more, and we will never exhaust that knowledge. Your reward is great in heaven, and that reward is Jesus Himself. This is what Paul desired in knowing Jesus. To grow in that knowledge as he was sanctified in suffering and what he would get in the resurrection. So in conclusion, what do you value most in this life? What will you give yourself to? I hope that you see that real gain is found not in pursuing or chasing the temporal things of this world, but as we've seen this morning, it's found in knowing Jesus. It's found in making Him our greatest treasure, in desiring Him, and counting Him as our greatest gain, counting all other things as loss. And there's much joy in that, and you will rejoice as you do this more and more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great praise for being this good God giver of good news, the giver of the good and perfect gift, your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is because of Christ that we are now a part of your people, Lord. And uh, we praise you that you reveal yourself to us through your word and that you enable us to know Jesus more and more. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the things in our lives that we prize or that we value more than Jesus, and that we would turn away from those things, that we would see them for what they are, that we would count them as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray that in, in doing so, Lord, whether it be through suffering, whether it be through the different means that you have for us, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith and that we would rejoice, and that we would also, uh, in our rejoicing, testify to the watching world, of the great treasure that we have in Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.